welcome to the first ever live episode of Sentimental Garbage here at London Book Fair 2019. Um, very honored to be here with Holly Bourne. Hello. <laughs> and uh, this is Holly's, I think, 19th speaking engagement of the day. So uh, <laughs> thank you so it's much fine. for coming on. I've had a lot of coffee. It's all fine. <laughs> Fab. This is, good. this is going to be a live podcast, so... Um, Imagine that you're hearing some kind of Fleetwood Mackie 70s guitar music, kind of a... Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, a podcast where we talk about the chiclet that made us who we are. My name is Caroline O'Donoghue, I'm a journalist, a novelist and someone who's rated a 4 out of 10 in terms of teeth. <laughs> Joining me is Holly Bourne, the author of many YA books, as well as How Do You Like Me Now, as well as being the children's book author of the day. Today we're talking about uh, Louise Renison's 1999 hit, Angus, Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging. Uh, show of hands, who's actually read of it, this book? Good. Oh my well goodness, done. this is fantastic. I love it. Um, so Holly, before we get into the plot summary, what made you chose this book? Because it's my favourite book in the world. Rightly and, so. And... It's funny because as an author, especially a children's author, when you go into schools, they're always like, what's your favourite book? And I think the English teachers all want you to be like, Jane Eyre. Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Angus Thongs with full frontal snogging every time. Um, it's the book I wouldn't be sitting here with the job I have as children's author of the day at London Book Fair if it wasn't for this book. She shaped me. She helped me find my voice because it's the first book I read as a teenager where girls were funny. And it shone a light on what teenage girls are actually like and just how kind of our bizarre behaviours um, and our crazy friendships and just the fact that, yeah, I've never laughed harder than I'm, when I'm with my female friends and we're just doing something ridiculous that we don't tend to do when boys are there. Um, and she just really shone a light on that and, um, and really inspired me to want to be a writer. It's absolutely fantastic and you're dead on and it does sort of nail the, the private lives of of girls of that age and I, I really felt that when I think of my own teenage years I feel like I automatically remember sort of 16 to 18 do you know when like I have a bra and like <laughs> I've um, you know been to a few parties and I kind of know how the world works and things kind of mess up but it's sort of stable but I think I maybe consciously block out like 12 to 15 because they're the grossest most awkward most like objectively weird years of your life I think they really are. You just wake up one morning, you're like, what is my body doing now? <laughs> it wasn't doing that yesterday. And everyone else's bodies are doing weird stuff. So you're just kind of like, every day you come into school and be like, who's done the weirdest thing overnight? Like, it's just a difficult time to combine with compulsory education, is what I would describe <laughs> puberty as. It truly is. And I love how in the book... Um, Georgia kind of says that, like, don't adults know that school is just something that we do to waste time before we can hang out with our mates again? And that's so dead on. But um, before we get more into the sort of themes of the book, I'm going to do a quick plot summary for those of you who haven't read it, although it seems as though all of you have, which is fabulous. <laughs> um, so Georgia is a teenager who lives with her mother, father, three-year-old sister Libby, and her wild cat Angus. When her and her best friend Jazz discover Tom and Robbie, two brothers who work at their local greengrocers, um, they plot and scheme to trap them as boyfriends. It's very much... It is a trap. <laughs> it's like trickery. It's sort of like, how can we trick those boys to like us? Um, and this is kind of the main plot of the book, but for anyone who knows it, it's, there's so much stuff going on. I mean, she, you know, 
affects a limp. She, <laughs> she fakes a French accent. Um, some of her hair falls off when she bleaches mm-hmm. it. She shaves off her eyebrows. She shaves off her eyebrows. It. <laughs> and it's just so, so fantastic. And, you know, I wish I had read it as a teenager. Um, because I think most of the why I tended to have gravitated towards me at that age was very issues-led book. It was very like, someone's pregnant or like... Um, someone's been catfished online kind of thing. And it's what we were saying. It's a thing of like girls being genuinely hysterically funny. Mm. And that makes it so good. And I suppose what it reminded me of the most was Adrian Mole, mm. which, um, I mean, most people have read Adrian Mole, but sort of it sits in a different place. Because I think everyone acknowledges those Adrian Mole books as being like very, like the height of um, English witticism, right? Mm. Whereas I think this, this book... And these series of books are kind of like an inside joke between women of a certain age, right? I think it's, yeah, for sure. Um, I was lucky enough to have read them when I was a teenager. And we were all just obsessed with them. Me and my friends, it was very much kind of somebody would have got the next one. Can I borrow it? Can I borrow it? And it was like this kind of sharing it, you know, around the kind of school playground. I don't know if they called it playground since secondary schools, but like a bit of tarmac or all the <laughs> yeah. kind of trauma happens at lunchtime. A bit of tarmac <laughs> yeah, when yeah. the trauma happens. <laughs> um, we were obsessed with them, and what was quite fu- funny, as, as we got older, the books kept coming, but we didn't age out of them. Um, so when we're at Sixth Form College, we're still waiting for the new ones to come out. And I think, you know, a book has really, really landed in a kind of the teenage universe when teenagers start using the words that their characters use, which yeah. is what we did. So it was never cold after reading these books. It was nippy noodles. And (laughs) if you fancied somebody, you had the cosmic horn for them. Um, And it's to the point where we're all now like 32, 33. Like some of my friends are married. Some of them have children. Some of them are like at the top of their game in the career. And the the language hasn't died. It's still always going to be nippy noodles rather than cold. It's still going to be like, oh, where did you get to them on the snogging scale out of 10 (laughs) after a Tinder date? It's just become our lives it's part of our lives um you know i'll never outgrow these books and out of curiosity did you go to an all-girls school i didn't no i um would always liked to um but then anyone i know who has gone to an all-girls school is like no you wouldn't have (laughs) (laughs) it was just like who's the most anorexic let's have like a competition (laughs) (laughs) just like they were like it was hell and i'm just like yeah but at least you didn't have like always rating you out of 10 in the lunch hour and you know kind of snapping your bra straps to see if you've got a bra yet so in my case just kind of pulling on my jumper I'm like no not there puberty's oh, still wow. not hit oh, if, I'm so sorry but I think yeah I think secondary school is dreadful no yeah, matter no, who yeah. you're with <laughs> oh the worst experience of anyone's life surely yeah. like um and I think what's I asked the girls school question because I think um one of the reasons this book triumphs so much is that it, because they go to an all-girls school in the book, um, boys are all the more alien, and they really are these creatures that they observe in the wild and then scheme <laughs> to just trap them in, in um, enclosed spaces. Um, when I was reading it, I was comparing notes with my boyfriend, and he went to an all-boys school, I went to an all-girls school, and I was saying to him, did you behave this way? Did you like come up with these elaborate scripts on what to say to boys when you met them? Like, this is a brilliant part in the book where um, Georgia and Jazz, they go into the greengrocers. I love this scene so much. <laughs> they go into the greengrocers um, because they figured out the two hot boys work there. 
It's not just a green graces. It's a green graces come delicatessen oh because it serves hummus. Oh my God, I'm such a geek. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so funny. Like, I love it so much. So kind of jazz sort of comes up to George. is like, oh, he works at the green grocers. Come delicatessen. And it's like that thing of wanting to zhuzh up your crush. <laughs> And um, so they kind of come up with this idea, like, okay, here's what we do. You go in and then, like, talk to, uh, ask him for a pound of onions. And then I'll come in and then you'll look really popular because I just noticed you off the street. And then we'll talk about this. And then George is like, and then I'll say to him, and where do you enjoy your daily torture? Because this is school, you see. I am making a funny joke about school. And she goes with this long, long script. And then they walk in there. And then the guy is just like, oh, where do you two go to school? And they're, and like, they're like, he's going off script. He's going off script. <laughs> yeah. What the uh, hell we? <laughs> so they just stop picking up onions. Again, you love onions, don't you? It's just <laughs> and what I love about that is um, the girls are demented. They're absolutely <laughs> demented. And like, what was your what was your most demented like girl group thing that you did as a teenager? I mean, it's just hard to choose. I'm trying to like. <laughs> pick ones where I wouldn't end up like getting arrested but you know but you do usually sort of semi-stalk the boys that you yeah. fancy at that age so I was in a mixed school and I remember there was this guy called Guillermo um, Guillermo Guillermo yeah I still can't spell his name even though <laughs> which was hard because you I was trying to the crush then obviously yeah I was trying to work out I was trying to do flames to work out if he yeah. was like we're gonna marry each other or do you remember did any of you guys do flames where you put your name and then you like I work like out everyone calculate. has a different version of this game where it's basically like get your names together and then another factor and then maths, 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 maths we're supposed yeah, to be and together and then it comes to a percentage of how much of a soulmate you're in because I couldn't quite spell Kimo's name <laughs> um, I would just kind of change the spelling until I got the percentage which was like up to 80 or 90% but I knew his entire school timetable wow. and so I knew the exact moments he might pass me in the corridor and I would make sure that you know my hair looked nice that day and I'd be like practice walking in my bedroom like in a oh I'm just on my way to maths to be fabulous kind of walk and then you know every Tuesday I'd be like is he going to be there is he going to be there and, and we all kind of got on you know your friends kind of are like they had their weird crush too and yeah. like, I remember my friend Rachel who um, doesn't like football and doesn't like yeah. video games, but was so obsessed with Michael Owen. I'm showing my age, but he was like a big deal, um, crush-wise, when he did really well on some Euro something or other. Um, yeah. <laughs> not going to make sports commentary some Euro, Euro. Or other. <laughs> But she like asked for a PlayStation for Christmas and the, his football game, just so that she could watch the introduction. Where he's oh. like, hi, I'm Michael Owen, welcome to my football game. She, like, she asked for an entire PlayStation and that game just so she could watch him on repeat because wow. this was before YouTube where you couldn't just watch videos of your crushes online like you had to buy a PlayStation buy the football game that they had promoted and then you just come in and be like are you watching the beginning of Michael Owen's football game again and she's like yeah and she just had it like would just press reset and reset we were demented it was, like, I, I was trying to think of because the, the thing about reading this book and as I said earlier um I don't know if everyone else has that same experience of kind of blocking out those years, like from <laughs> so many sad nods. <laughs> um, um, the kind of 12 to 14, because they are the most painful years and they're the most humiliating and you'd rather just block the whole gross period out. I suddenly remembered as I was reading this book that um, when I was about 13, there was um, some two brothers that lived nearish me, um, but not near enough for me to actually know who they were. Um, so me and my best friend Aoife, we... Um, we, we created a petition to end animal testing so we could go door to door and eventually meet them. 
That's genius. But like, why didn't I think of that with Gemo? But it wasn't <laughs> even like an official thing. It was like a, literally a word document that we had typed, being like, "This petition is to end animal testing. Please sign it." And that was all it said. That's <laughs> all it said. There was no like. Did you World get anybody else's fund. signatures so it looked authentic by the time it arrived oh, yes, at him? That was the, that was the crux of the plan, Holly. <laughs> is that it would look authentic because there were so many. And I remember they answered the door, and their mom answered, but they were kind of milling around in the background, and um, then you know the mom signed the petition kindly closed the door and then we just ran away screaming <laughs> running away screaming was something you do a lot as a teenager running away screaming <laughs> is dictated yeah. so much in this book and like what I love about that is that the the fun and the excitement generally at those age didn't come from the boy or being with the boy because when they once they actually ensnare them and start snogging them it's always like oh yeah we kissed and it was fine <laughs> Yeah. But like the fun comes from the like, build up, the anticipation, yeah. the dramas, the rehearsing what you're going to say, planning what you're going to wear, yes. debriefing afterwards. And that's actually about female friendship. But like the boys are just like a vehicle of which for them to further bond. Like that's what I kind of saw. That's what I think as well. And um, yeah, it, it, and I think that's like a thing of um, fancying the same boy band member together. Mm. Like I used to There's want about fancying Nick Carter. Who? Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys, oh, the blonde one. Okay. <laughs> and then there was that thing where you would love them together, but there was also that slight rivalry where, where if we were to meet them, who would he choose? Well, you'd both, you'd <laughs> mar- you'd both marry him, of course. Really? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I was a bit more Darwin <laughs> than that. I was just like, <laughs> we can be friends up until we meet him, but then you're going to have to just deal with the fact that I'm actually his soulmate. And <laughs> <laughs> so when you started writing YA, um, how did you write... I guess the question is, how do you write those insane, life-defining, like, consuming crushes without alienating the reader and without telling the reader that they are ridiculous crushes? I think it's just getting inside the character's head. Whenever I'm writing, I kind of try to... I put myself, like, in the point of view shot, almost, where I'm in the character's head, seeing what they're seeing, experiencing what they're experiencing, and try to write what I see from being in their Mm -hmm. mind. Um, and then so when I'm trying to like focus on the kind of boys that my characters come across and fancy and kind of receiving them as a teenager, if that makes sense. So I yeah, kind of yeah. go through some sort of transcendental um, experience in order to write. Um, and I find that it's normally with a crush, especially as a teenager, you pick up on a certain part of them that you really like. Yeah. And then you, but you sort of make it into a joke. So with the character of Ollie and Am I Normal Yet, like she's just obsessed with his basil green eyes and she's basil just like green ba- yeah eyes. and she's like he could like cry in spaghetti sauce and make it taste nicer and you know <laughs> there is that sort of or like you know cheekbone boy you know that you just you're kind of tended to always combine like two nouns to describe them before you learn their name so there'd be like um I remember there was a guy we used to fancy called bogey green that's what we called him because he had this like bogey green anorak but he was so hot it looked amazing so it'd be like oh my god did you see bogey green bogey green got a haircut eventually one time he was like hi nice to meet you i'm paul i'm like that's not your name bogey green (laughs) very dare you paul (laughs) that's just like when he actually revealed himself to be a person with a like a life and a name i'm like oh this is sort of ruining it a bit like just be the guy who looks really good in a bogey green anorak that i can make up a story with with my friends yeah you don't actually yeah because often it's their actual personalities are kind of letdowns and what's 
<laughs> but what's lovely about um, Robbie and Tom in this book, who are the kind of the two sexy lads, um, is that they're actually in so many comedies or any comedic books or whatever, it, and it's such a cliche where the girl, it's her role to be the sort of like sensible one who the boy or the man uh, makes a fool out of themselves in front of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we see that in so many movies and everything. And I think Rose Byrne's entire career is turning into a, oh, you boys. And mm-hmm. uh, that upsets me. Um, but what's lovely about this is that the boys are very sensible and very mm-hmm. straight-laced and just like they have appropriate reactions to things and the girls are just like pinballing around them. (laughs) They handle it very well. What I love about this book in particular is it opens with Georgia feeling very upset because she went to a fancy dress party dressed as a stuffed olive and then found that no boys really paid her much attention and she kind of ended up having to get like driven home with her dad in the Volvo, like with the olive costume in the boot. (laughs) She couldn't fit into the car. And her friend Jazz, who had gone to the party in a cat suit, says to her near the beginning of the book, you've got to remember that boys don't like girls for funniness. You know, that's not what it's about. And then Georgia kind of falls for this sex god character, Robbie. And the whole thing is that he does fall for her. And she's kind of, they, they hint at throughout the book that Georgia is not, an exceptionally pretty girl you know she's got a massive nose and you know yeah. didn't one of her friends give her like 0.5 or something out of 10 yes, for her when, nose. when they rate each other when they the, rate uh... each other's appearance but the thing is she is very funny and yeah, yeah. Robbie because the boy male characters are actually very well realized and kind of showed it you know, like lots of teenage boys you know there's a lot more going on there they are actually capable of being sensible and he'd fall to Georgia because of her funniness and that's what I love about the book and as somebody growing up who was never the prettiest, but was the one who could kind of usually have a few sharp comebacks or was always usually doing something quite strange. Um, I found these massively reassuring. I was like, oh, maybe one day there'll be a boy out there who like, likes the fact that I'm completely nuts a lot of the time and don't know how to spell Guillermo. <laughs> <laughs> What's great about that is, um, so the, uh, Robbie and... Um uh, Georgia don't really spend that much time together throughout the book, but the thing that sort of like cinches them back together is uh, they're at this like mixed gender sleepover where like they're yeah. at a sleepover and the boys just crash it. Which even like reading this as someone who's almost thirty, I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. boys have crashed the sleepover. I would have found the that dream. very stressful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as a teenager, and now I'd be like, this is my safe space. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, Georgia like on a dare streaks down the neighborhood. And it was the fact that she's such like an obvious laugh. So she, mm. she's clearly just a massive laugh and has something about her. And that's the thing that sells her in, you mm. know, and that's what makes her. And that's, that's such an incredible message to send to girls that you can be like you're, in, you're like as outsized and as funny and as interesting as you want to be. Mm. And I feel I have a little, little bugbear with a lot of YAs that sometimes they do this kind of thing where um, they'll have a main lead female character who is she bills herself as not being attractive but it's very clear she's beautiful mm-hmm. it's like oh and I'm and I'm too thin and my hair is too shiny and mm-hmm. my <laughs> my eyes are too chocolatey a color of brown and it's like oh come on we all see through mm-hmm. this you're obviously yeah. hot um but then when you get to that there's many references throughout the book you're, you're right where Georgia's like no she's she's really nothing special um which brings, but she's hilarious but she's hilarious <laughs> which brings me to that um that scene where they do all rank each other um out of 10 and um i think the categories are eyes mouth teeth mouth and teeth are different uh figure 
and uh, that could be it out of 10, and she gets the lowest marks overall. But it did remind me of like those early years when you're, for some girls are obsessed with taxonomizing things, mm. like obsessed with rating systems, obsessed with um, like even those like quizzes and magazines and like of ranking and sorting behavior. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's because I, I had to, I'm going to like get scientific on you. I'd but love that. Um, when I was writing uh, one of my books called The Manifesto on How to Be Interesting, the book sort of is about a gal who tries to learn the rules of being popular. But the book was sort of mainly about what the lasting psychological impact is of secondary school. Mm. Um, over the course of your lifetime. And so I was kind of looking at the science and the psychology of what happens to your brain in puberty. And um, they've kind of proven that as the process of rewiring begins, because you kind of have a child's brain and it needs to kind of go through this sort of mess in order to come out as an adult brain. Some of the things that happen is that you become super attuned to how you're seen socially in a social group. And I think that was because in caveman times... um, you know, that once you became an adolescent, it was all kind of up for grabs. You weren't being looked after by, you know, for people in the cave anymore. You had to start providing in the group. So it's like you kind of link it to survival. And they actually put teenagers in brain scanners and found that they found being unpopular more scary than lack of food. So they, like, link popularities to survival. And this is sort of, like, inbuilt in our evolution. But if you kind of take that brain and put it in a teenager at secondary school, you know, the brain hasn't quite caught up yet. Yeah. Um, but it does mean that you're just completely com- comparing yourself to everybody else all the time um, because you link it to your survival and anything to do with identity. Who am I? What do I mean? What am I contributing? Mm. And I think with girls at that age, they're just sort of starting to realize their, their social standing, maybe their sexual capital you know they're just kind of instead of just being children playing in the mud or whatever they're kind of starting to realize oh where do I fit in with everything but they're not quite having sex yet and so it's kind of this weird trying to play grown-up way of working out where you are and it is there's like an evolutionary purpose behind it which I find fascinating and the the nudge with that is obviously that instinct has always been there with young girls but um now that social media exists, that sort of everything about that instinct that you just described is completely heightened. Mm, it's awful. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I imagine there are obviously lots of teenagers who are getting a lot out of it. And you see every like other day, I feel like I see this 14 year old entrepreneur is ending period poverty or something. Mm. And I'm like, well, go on. But uh, then obviously there's that dark side. But how do you present like a nuanced social media atmosphere for a book to not have it be that incredibly scary thing but not have it be sort of all daisies either it's really tricky to write about social media in fiction because the technology and the platforms that people are using change very quickly whereas publishing is very slow so usually you're Mm -hmm. publicizing a book that you wrote a year and a half two years ago and so you can't ever quite catch up with that so you know, if you started talking about, just think of like MySpace, Bebo, yeah. even Facebook. Like you go into, I go into schools now. I'm like, are you on Facebook? And they're like, that's what my grand's on. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you want? And they're like, blah, blah, blah. And they use a word I've never heard of before. And I feel very old. Um, <laughs> I think Instagram is the platform of the moment. But in two years, like no offense to Instagram, I'm sure there'll be something else. It's just technology's moving. No offense to Instagram, like they, they are here. But it's just like, because... <laughs> it's just changing so much but 
so I try to, I, I couldn't write a book specifically about social media just because I'd be freaking out so much mm. that it would date. But I do try to have that in the background. I just don't name the platforms because the behavior's there. Like well, the way that we kind of behave now on Instagram is quite similar to Facebook. It's just slightly different user journey and way that you like. So I try to have it in the background, but for that just kind of fear that it will date too quickly, I tend to not go there which is very hard because it feels slightly artificial because, you know, so many young people do yeah. live their whole lives online. It's interesting because um, I think then a lot of the YA and children's books that have the most staying power are the ones that predate that era, mm. like the Judy Blooms that are still, like you, you go into Waterstones and they're still there, mm. you know, and, and these books still sell very, very well. I think there's a, um, people think that teenagers want to read about their exact experience. Mm-hmm. Like they want, like, I think... There's like a pressure to be up to date on what exactly the kids are doing. And I think the more authors fight to try and understand that, the more dated it seems, if you know what I mean. It's like, do you find that it's almost like you have to remember your behavior as a teenager rather than trying to ape teenagers in the world now? Totally. Um, because being a teenager is no different than it was at my age or somebody who's 40 or somebody who is 50. The main issues that cause you stress are the same. So if you look yeah. at Adrian Moore, it's like been 30 years, I think, since it's come out. It was, yeah. you know, he was worried about his exams. He was worried about falling in love for the first time. His parents were breaking up. He was worried about the size of his penis. <laughs> you know, and his and body. The he was very worried about and the Falklands. Falklands. You know, there was some weird global catastrophe or politics. Yeah. Politicians didn't seem to know what was going on. Like, that's luckily changed. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, and it's the same with, you know, the Georgie Nicholson books. It's like first crushes, first jobs, friendship groups, your body doing weird stuff. Like, it just, it's always been like this. And the only thing that is different for our, like the current teenagers is social media exists alongside and can sometimes make some of those problems better or worse. Mm-hmm. And so your friendships could be even more strengthened by the fact that you have a WhatsApp group that I didn't get to have growing up but obviously it can make things much worse um so yeah that's why I try to stay clear of it because actually the real issues are those things that I've already said you know and they are universal teenage experiences and a teenager in 20 years time is probably still going to be worrying about the massive spot that comes up on their chin like a lurking lurker that's something yeah that me and my friends still call them lurking lurkers i mean i'm still suffering from lurking lurkers to this day (laughs) the best name for them that is what they do they're just lurking (laughs) and they really hurt and they never go away and i'm 32 and the big red sore spot it's horrible just like i've got actually got one on my author photo really (laughs) and every time i see it i'm like i had so much pan stick on it you can still see this bump (laughs) in my face and it's like i'm having to look at it all day today i'm like oh that lurking lurker that was there the day of my author photo shoot what's interesting about the comparison you made earlier to adrian mole is that um if you talk to anyone about the adrian mole books today they'll generally tell you the exact same thing which is like oh i loved it i loved him when he was 13 and three quarters and they generally read up until like 16 17 18 and then people tend to unless they're completionists they tend to sort of peel off and it's it's not because Sue Townsend's writing got any worse or anything. She stayed hilariously funny throughout her career. Um, But it's the fact that there's something funny and hopeful and wonderful about a 13-year-old who's selfish and naive and vain. And there's something sad about a 50-year-old man who behaves in the exact same way. And so do you think that Georgia, would you be interested in seeing her as a 25-year-old or a 30-year-old? 
Oh, I don't know. It'd be one of those things. I mean, obviously, sadly, it can't happen now. Well, um, no, of course not. And I, I, I've never... Like, you know when famous people die and everyone gets really sad on the internet? And I'm like, really? Mm. Like, did you care that much? Yeah. I always feel like it might... I'm just like, when people are like, oh, I'm crying nonstop, like David Bowie and stuff. And then when Louise Renison died, I was that person. I, like, was crying uncontrollably for a day. Like, then I was like, oh, no, this is real grief. Because... Um, she's been such an idol to me like literally one of the main reasons I wanted to write a children's book was like maybe one day we'll be at the same festival and I'll meet her like because she's just been such a huge part of my life and so like I was just devastated when she died and now it means that especially there'll be no sequel but I remember hearing rumors that she might have been working on something when they're Mm -hmm. older and part of me would have loved that just because it would reignite some friends from college that I think I probably haven't spoken to now, sixth form college, for like 15, 17 years. The moment that it would have been announced, we would probably have all come together. The message, you know, because it would have just reignited our friendship. Oh, it would be like a midnight launch situation. It yeah, would be like a Harry would, Potter thing of like 35-year-old women dressed as olives. Yeah, we probably that's exactly <laughs> what we would have done, actually. Oh, my God. So oh, it's never going to come to pass. like this existing but, um, parallel timeline where that exists. That exists. But actually, yeah. Uh, would would it be ruins? Um, That's the if thing. If she was older, and still you know, acting the same what storyline could she have given Georgia? What job could she have given her that <laughs> makes sense? Like Georgia, like in an office. I mean, it would have been hilarious, but you kind of don't want her in an office. You just yeah. always want her to be running around dresses and stuff, Olive, accidentally shaving off her eyebrows and like falling in love with people who put a for sale sign on their school roof. You know, she just <laughs> shouldn't be in an office like having meetings. Um, so I think, yeah, maybe it's sadly for the best that we'll never know what happens to her. Which is, which is great because she, yeah, because if she was, as you, okay, if she was an adult being as kind of selfish and naive as she was, it wouldn't be endearing, but it is. But as like selfish, naive, like, you know, moody or whatever she can be, she's also a wonderful character to aspire to be. Mm. Like, there's a, there's a moment in the books, and it's very brushed over very quickly, where she basically stands up to the bullies in her class. Um, the um, Bummer that? Twins. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good comedy name. The Bummer Twins. The Bummer Twins. Almost as good as Nauseating Pam Le Green. Yes. That's another character. I'm like, what a great comedic name. Nauseating P. Green. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> or just Lindsay, the absolute wet. Yeah. The sticking sect. <laughs> Um, and like, do you, when you're writing YA characters, do you, do you feel a sort of, um, is there kind of a yin and yang thing of wanting to write someone who's um, real and flawed, but also someone that you can aspire to be, someone who can stand up to bullies and who can kind of save the day for herself? Um, yeah, I do really try actually to make my characters to some degree aspirational. Um, and it's very consciously done. Um, because I deal with quite dark topics in my fiction, even though there's lots of jokes and mm-hmm. humour, I do kind of tell stories that I think will help young people make sense of the darker parts of their life. Um, and I just know how teenagers' brains work, and I know that they want to read about that slightly aspirational thing. So I kind of use these... My, my character's are usually quite good at something, whether that's campaigning in politics, or they're really into film, or they're really good at painting. Like There's just that slight thing that they're just quite good at something because yeah. I think that makes them I don't try to ever make them pretty because I don't that's I think you work towards it's just something you either are born or not and society decides what's pretty or not anyway but I do try to make them aspirational because then I find that that gets teenagers on board with the characters my book can hopefully then you know like 
fires in them and make them realize that they're aspirational. It's just really like getting them to realize the potential within themselves. Um, but I do also try to tell the truth about what it is like to be a teenager. That's why there is darkness in all my books because being a teenager can be quite dark quite a lot of the time. I know that some of my funniest moments in my life are from when I was a teenager. Like my friend Rachel, once we all went to Chessington World of Adventures, and which is a theme park in the south, and we were queuing under this ride, and then suddenly Rachel was just unconscious on the ground, like covered in vomit. It's because somebody had like puked over the side of a ride above oh us, so it, like knocked her unconscious. <laughs> and, like, which is a sad day for Rachel. It was a hilarious day for us. It's still like whenever I think about it, it's like the funniest moment of my life. And there's so many stories about me and my friends. And there's a the time like my friend Laura really needed to pee, and she couldn't wait for us to get into the under 18s thing. So she was like, well, "I have to go now." we just got to a bus station so we all like formed a wall of humans around her and she like dropped it and was like peeing on the ground but she needed to pee so much it's just like gushing out for us we all screamed around and she was just left oh just gosh. like peeing uncontrollably in a bus stop <laughs> it's just like these like you know and then sometimes me doing horribly embarrassing things like these memories are so clear but actually some of the darkest moments of my life with one era as a teenager, if I really want to like open, like if I re- oh, yeah. read my diaries, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, I was really miserable. I had some really dark things going on. Um, so it's showing both because I think you can be the teenager laughing uncontrollably till like milk comes out your nose. But then you go home and have some of the darkest thoughts you'll probably ever have in your human life. And it's all in one afternoon and, and that's what's captured so beautifully in the book um, and that's why the diary format is so arresting because um, the experiences of being a teenager are so unbelievably heightened that she goes from having the worst day of her life to having the best day of her life so quickly I love what I like there's nothing more um, rewarding when she's in a really good mood when she's like life is fab fabby mm. fabby fab she's and really she, nice to her parents I isn't know. she on those rare moments <laughs> yeah and it's um it, it's just, it does sort of remind you of that, like, all those storms and all those teacups that made up your entire life, really. Mm. Um, so you, you were a journalist before you were an author. Mm. Um, and what I find really interesting is the depiction of magazines in, in these books, in these person's books. And um, it's very much capturing that 90s time where the women's magazine rules all. Um, yeah, and were you kind of the similar, similar when you were? We young? were obsessed with magazines yeah. growing up, and always reading outside of your age range. Yeah, so you kind of when you were eleven, you read Sugar, even though it was meant for thirteen-year-olds, and then you moved up to Bliss, and then you went up to Just Seventeen, and yeah. then More magazine, which had the position of a fortnight. You know, it was oh my like God. ultra yeah. racy. Um, and, you know, company. I was just obsessed with magazines. It still makes me sad every day that teenage magazines don't exist. Uh, really there's some left um but quite unfeminist on reflection they were just lots of like how to mirror his body language at a party so that he can kiss you and it was all to do with like how to dress in a way that boys made you find attractive and so sometimes I think oh actually it's good that teenagers are sort of free of that clutter I'm sure they're getting other messages I remember Miz had a regular feature where it would like um have girls in with different outfits with different hairstyles and then they, they would have the boys kind of rank what they thought of the girls and yeah, it was just like, like that would not get away with that today would no. they it's, and it's and that's good that they can't get away with that the day I suppose but yeah, but I did love magazines especially like the horoscopes you'd always yeah. kind of um, pour over the horoscopes but that's at that the back kind of like girly urge to taxonomize again to like yeah. it like it's like oh I'm not some like 11 year old in 
Ireland, like with nothing about her. I'm actually a Taurus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's and tomorrow is my red hot crush day. So I'm, you know, do you remember they had had that red day in a calendar? It's just oh, like yes. basically ovulating. But like all Tauruses can't ovulate at the same time. It was just like you'd be like, some people be like, oh, I'm so jealous. You've got your red hot crush day only the day of the party on Saturday. And you're like, yeah, I do. Sorry, you do. And it's like no, it's time literally to get a just crush. a work experience person was coloring in that square probably in their no. internship <laughs> or maybe it was real um oh, oh, oh it was real really <laughs> they had a real astrologer really doing that um and i love as well that kind of um uh georgia's obsession with like homemade face masks yes. which i haven't thought about in like 15 years my God, I put so much weird stuff on my face. Egg, just egg yolk. Just, egg yolk. She goes through so many eggs. Yeah, she does. And then she falls asleep once and then wakes up and thinks she's like paralyzed and she just forgot to take the egg yolk mark and it's dried on and she's like, in the morning. Yeah. It's yeah, that constant messing with yourself. Completely. I, I love that she gets that because I, I had so many beauty disasters, usually inspired by women's magazines or teenage magazines where... You try dyeing your hair this color, or you try this, or, dye, or like doing stuff to your to your friends. Like I'll dye your hair, but it all goes a bit wrong, and they turn out with green hair that they can't cover. Like that was just all going on, and and the idea it, of like being tra- of being able to self transform, I think, is incredibly mm-hmm. powerful at that age. Like uh, as as the book begins, I think it's the end of the summer holidays, and she's doing that thing where she's like planning what she's gonna look like on day one, and she's gonna do yoga every day, and like this term will be different, mm-hmm. and like I just love how universal that this term will be different feeling that girls have. Just I still um I was talking to one of my friends, Lucy, who's a school librarian, and she was just like the most popular book in our library has always been and will always be the summer I turned pretty and it's just because the power of that title because that's just literally like what you wanted to have (laughs) happen to you you wanted to be the girl that came back in September you're like wow wow yeah and that's like she's like that is literally the book that some girl just gets hot over summer and then all the boys like her right and And that's the reality of that is that you hit puberty over summer if you do hit puberty over summer and then you come back and you're just clammy everywhere (laughs) (laughs) or you're just getting really badly sexually like harassed (laughs) you know where you used to just be invisible and boys are like you know pretending to juggle your boobs and it's actually awful and you just want to but what's interesting about that is that we're obviously living in this moment now where um we're very conscious of um you know catcalling and like the kind of pressure and scrutiny young girls are under and um I think, you know, Laura Bates does incredible work in that area as well. But what's interesting about this book, and it reveals something very dark about the teenage psyche, which is that um, Georgia and, and Jazz, they walk up and down the, the main road, like counting the beeps they get in their shortest skirts. They literally put on their shortest skirts, walk up and down the road for two hours, and then like get thrilled every time someone beeps at them. And like, even though I know it's deeply problematic, I also, I can't deny that that's also who I was at that age. Yeah, because you know? you're kind of testing that area of yourself out. Um, although that said I was reread the book for this uh, podcast and I was surprised that actually there's quite it hasn't dated well there's some things where I'm like yeah. ooh like yeah. you know just like they still she uses the word lesbian a lot as oh she's insult. obsessed with lesbianism yeah you know and like there's a lot of you know kind of language about mental health that you wouldn't use and yeah yeah, and the fact that, yeah, they sort of celebrate being sexually assaulted. Or lots of them are just sexually assaulted. Sometimes she gets sexually assaulted by her cousin in the yeah. first section of her book. Like, he comes and grabs her leg and, you know, tries to kiss her. And then she just sort of, like, laughs it off. Um, yeah. And it's 
so even though I love these books, sometimes I'm like, oh, I, you couldn't have had that scene now. Like, luckily, we are a bit more woke. Um, but at, at the same time, as much as I criticize it and I, I, I wouldn't write a book myself that's like that, I kind of love that there is a, this little space in these books where it's like, yes, you can get sexually assaulted by your cousin, but also find it funny. And mm-hmm. it, not everything has to be something that is deeply traumatic, you know, and there's kind of, not impact, like empowering is the wrong word, obviously, but do you know what I mean? Mm. The fact that things um, bounce off her so lightly mm. and she's so resilient and she just kind of keeps charging through her life is sort yeah. of lovely. And she just sort of makes fun of the sexual sources. She's just like, oh, they're so creepy. And she yeah. sort of like makes them almost like the and victim, <laughs> even though they're the one who's like lunging <laughs> on her. And what's funny is that, like, um, and I think this is very common to the teenage girl experience, which is that you misdirect um, your accusation. So according to Georgia, every, every female teacher that works at her school is like a lesbian and obsessed with her. And it's just like the most ridiculous thing. And like, um, you know, the, the principal will like tell them to hurry up in the showers and they're like, oh my God, she's trying to look at this naked lesbian. It's, it's completely <laughs> ridiculous. But then um, when like the boy next door literally puts his hand on her boob, she's like, what an interesting thing for him to have done <laughs> without my consent. Oh, well. <laughs> So it's yeah, it, it really is that Mark Big Gob. Yes, Mark and Big Gob with a brilliant with a mouth comedy like... name. Such a good name. <laughs> yeah, um, and I love how like these love interests they just sort of phase in and out, don't they? Just like Robbie is always the bullseye. Well, and then it goes towards Dave Villarf, who if I could make any book character come to life so that I could seduce and marry, it would be him. Dave Villarf. Dave Villarf, oh my God. Don't get me started on him in the film adaptation (laughs) and how undersold he was. So let's talk about the film adaptation because you, like many people, have many problems. Please list them. Oh my Lord. Some of it is good. I like the fact that they hired British kids who weren't famous um, who weren't a young stunning. Aaron Taylor Johnson yes who he, is now married to that lovely director woman yes yes so, uh, <laughs> but they just did they just missed so much jazz didn't have a fringe that annoys me considering <laughs> like how jazz's fringe was a source of so much just comedic stuff and like they're sort of they were never that funny if the girls weren't they were kind of going like they would do the giggly stuff but then they wouldn't they weren't having the fish party where they're all dressed up as fishes. They were just kind of doing a little bit of silly dancing. It just felt very much like trying to show what teenagers are. And I'm like, you have all this literature. Like, yeah. where is Fen? Where's the fish party? Like, where's the absolutely crazy nonsense? It was still felt like a slightly sanitized film producer version of what teenagers are like. It lacked that authenticity. Um, what else other problems did I have? Angus just wasn't a big enough deal in the films considering How Angus big is, is that cat? <laughs> because that cat's bigness is communicated so much. It's like, he's like a dog-sized cat. Because he's like... half Scottish wild cat, isn't he? Because yeah, she says he's like the size of a small Labrador, so I'm not sure if that's accurate. Um, and yeah, Dave Villarf was just a kind of, they call him the red herring initially. But in the, in the film, he's like, he's not that funny. Um, and she just uses him as a minor plot point. And I know they're only trying to make one film and I've read all books over and over and over again but I was just like David Love needs to be he was a very sexy character because he was so funny and again he's just kind of going oh nunga nungas lol and I'm just like that's not who you are (laughs) I did not fall in love with fictional this um so they just underplayed I don't know I'd be love I'd love to hear other people's opinions um 
And yeah, if we want to have another podcast, I'm very happy to talk about Ginny in Harry Potter films as well. That will fill five hours. Yeah. <laughs> like, who is Ginny? She's just a cipher for, like, she's pretty Ron, isn't she? She was just so bad in the films <laughs> compared to in the book, and I'll never, ever forgive whoever is responsible. Good. Well, I think that's yeah, a good that's note a to good, end on. So, yeah, <laughs> where I'm going to die on a hill is about Ginny in her Harry Potter films. <laughs> um, so, so as we're winding up, uh, I'd love to know what else you're working on at the moment. And today, actually, I, we just released the front cover of my new YA book, uh, which is out on October 3rd. And it is called The Places I've Cried in Public. Oh, yes, it looks uh, fantastic. Which is, yeah, from the response we've had to the title is a behaviour that lots of teenagers and full-grown people <laughs> um, are coming to me going, that was me yesterday at the train station. And yeah, so it's a book about a girl who has come out of a relationship and she can't figure out why she's so messed up. Mm-hmm. And so she goes back to all the places this boy made her cry to try and make sense of the relationship. And it sort of explores what love is and what love isn't. But with some jokes. Good. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, Holly, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, and thank you, thank you for everyone for me. coming. Thank you. <laughs> this has been Sentimental Garbage, and I've been Karen O'Donoghue. You can follow me on Twitter at Zaraline, that's C-Z-A-R-O-L-I-N-E, or email me by the podcast at ZaralineO'Donoghue at gmail.com. Thanks to Harry Harris for the jingle, Gavin Day for the logo, and Acast for the recording space. This has been a Justice for Dumb Women podcast produced by Hannah Varrell. <laughs>